Welcome to the Word Encounter episode 261, where today we will start a very exciting journey into the book of Revelation. I have been both looking forward to this and I have been kind of been dreading it uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, over the years, as many times as I've read through Revelation, there are still a bunch of things in the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, <laughs> that I don't understand. And so that is kind of my trepidation as we go through this. Uh, my expectation or my, my looking forward to it has to do with the, 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 the hopes and the uh, expectation of the possibility of understanding more as we go through this exercise, uh, keeping my spirit open uh, to be poured into as we go through this, and hopefully I can gain more revelation of what this book is speaking. <clears throat> what is this book? Who wrote it? John wrote the book of Revelation uh, in about A.D. 95-ish. So this is after Emperor Nero, the next emperor, is in place. And persecution of the Christians was still going on. And it was during this time that John was banished or exiled to the island of Patmos. And so he was there, and it was from this island that he wrote the book of Revelation. It is written to the seven churches in Asia, <clears throat> seven is the number of completion in the Bible. And so what, uh, the way I interpret this and others interpret this is that um, uh, it, it, since it's the number of completion, that this is actually uh, written to the complete church, the entire church, both at that time and into the future. And so it's written for everybody or to everybody, I should say. Why was it written? It was written to reveal the full identity of Christ and to explain what happens before, during, and after Jesus returns. Also, to deliver hope to those who believe in Jesus and as a warning to those who don't. And so that is what Revelation is about. For the longest time, I was also very afraid of the book of Revelation because I feared what was in it with regard to the end times and what would happen and the earth burning up and all this. And so I was very afraid of what would be in the book of Revelation. That was out of my ignorance. As I got into it, I found out that there was a lot of hope that was pre, uh, presented in the book of Revelation. But yet still, there's so much in this book that I just do not understand. And so hopefully these things, uh, some of these things anyway, we'll uh, get more revelation on as we go through. <clears throat> With that, let's get started. Chapter one, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John. So Jesus made uh, uh, this prophecy known by sending a messenger to John to tell John and to show John the things to come. And John was responsible for essentially transcribing that for those of us who are reading. It says in verse two, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. So that was John's mission to testify the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. So I am reading this prophecy out loud and you are hearing this prophecy and the word says that we are blessed. However, there's a proviso. Keep what is written in it. Why? Because that is obedience and the time is near. 
in verse 4, it says, John, this is John essentially writing his greeting. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace uh, to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, uh, priest to his God and father to be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that's essentially John's greeting to the churches. Then he says, look, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him. He's not coming in secret. When he comes back, it says he's coming in the clouds and every eye on earth, everybody on earth who's alive at that time will see him. Even those who pierced him, even those who injure him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. And so they will, it says, there will be a lot of people who mourn that Jesus is coming <laughs> because it will hit them at that time that this Jesus thing is real. It says in verse eight, I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the almighty. John's vision of the risen Lord says in verse nine, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John said, look, I'm on this island because I, I preached the word. I testified for Jesus and I was exiled because of it. I was banished because of it. In verse 10, it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And so he was having a vision. He was in it. This angel came to deliver message, took him up, I guess, to see a vision. He had a vision on that day, judgment day, that great and fearful day of the Lord. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, uh, Laodicea. In verse 12, then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned and saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was like the son of man dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The lampstands are a metaphor for the seven churches. But anyway, verse nine, the hair on his head was like a, uh, was white as wool, white as snow, his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fi uh, fine bronze uh, as it was fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. And so a lot of people. People, when they think of Jesus, they think of the baby Jesus in the manger. They think of a, a, a mild and meek person, um, maybe physically weak and whatnot, full of love and that sort of thing. But here, this picture of Jesus, this vision of Jesus is very, very different. You know, he says his hair was white. His eyes were like fiery flames. His feet was like fine bronze you know, cured in a fiery furnace. His voice was booming like cascading waters. This is the vision in the picture of a kind of menacing Jesus, kind of an imposing Jesus. And then it says in verse 16, he had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth. 
and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. Wow. He had seven stars in his right hand. Those are representative of his of his leaders of the seven churches. You know, his pastors, if you will, of the seven churches, his priests of the seven churches, his leaders. It, it, it refers sometimes to, uh, to them as angels. It says a sharp double-edged sword came out of his mouth. This is emblematic of the word of God being a weapon. See, Jesus is armed with the word of God in his mouth, armed to do battle, armed to execute justice. And then it says, and his face was shining like the uh, sun at full strength. His face was brilliant, but his eyes were ablaze. Can you picture that? Is he happy or is he not happy with the condition of the earth when he returns? And then verse 17, it says, when I saw him, I fell as if at his feet like a dead man. Can you imagine if you came face to face with Jesus? You know, and just totally and completely naked before him, being exposed with regard to to all the sin that has existed in your life and the and and, and, the, and the things that you knew that you should have done that you didn't do and and all this stuff. And you're just standing there before the Lord exposed. John said he fell at his feet like a dead man in terror. And then the word says he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Can you imagine this imposing, menacing looking Jesus and, you know, and you're just consumed with all your self guilt and he lays his right hand on you and says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. See, remember, Jesus died, descended into hell, then resurrected. He says, I got the keys to these doors. I got the keys. I can open these doors and let people out. He says, I've conquered death. Therefore, write what you have seen, uh, what is and what will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers, you know, so the leaders of my church. The seven uh, stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's go on to chapter two. And now he's going to have John write a letter to each of the churches. And so in chapter two, it says, write to the angel of the church of Ephesus. You know, (laughs) this is why I think angel is a metaphor for leader, right? Why would John need to write a letter to an angel? That doesn't make any sense. It says, write to the angel, write to the messenger of the church of Ephesus or to the pastor or the priest or whatever. It says, thus says the one uh, who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Thus says the one, I, Jesus, who hold my leaders in my right hand, see, who are representing me and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, who walks among the seven churches. I know your works, your labor and your endurance. Uh, Again, this is the letter to Ephesus. Uh, see in your endurance and you cannot tolerate evil people. So he's commending the Ephesian, uh, the Ephesian church for not tolerating evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. You didn't just take what they said. You tested what they said and you have found them to be false prophets, you know, to be false apostles, I should say. And, and so that is awesome. That's great. Says Jesus. 
Then he says, I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my uh, name, and you have not grown weary. You have not grown weary in your well-doing. Well done, says Jesus. However, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Ooh, so their lack of love, they may have been doing everything correctly, but their lack of love... You abandoned your first love. You had abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus has a problem with this. We can be doing the right things for the wrong or no reasons, and Jesus will not recognize it. We not only need to be doing the right things, we need to be motivated by the right uh, uh, attitude. And then he says in verse 5, remember, uh, remember then how far you have fallen. So you remember, you came into my uh, saving grace because you recognized that you were a sinner and I was extending my grace and mercy on you. And you were so thankful when you came into the kingdom that you offered that grace and mercy to other people in the beginning. But you forgot. See? And Jesus says, repent and do the works that you did at first. Do the works and do the things that you did from the right motivation that you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Otherwise, I will come and remove your church from its place of influence. See, I will render it useless unless you repent. <clears throat> Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the, Nicolo uh, of the Nicolaitans, uh, which I also hate. What were the practices of the Nicolaitans? I don't know. But Jesus is commending them. For hating those practices. See, a lot of times people say, well, Jesus is love, and it's true. But Jesus hates, too. What does he hate? Sin. Misrepresentation. See, and so he lauded um, the Ephesians for the hate of what he hates. After he kind of slapped them upside their head for not loving. Then it says in verse 9, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We will see it's a consistent theme here that at the end of a letter to, to a, a church, it is said to the one who conquers. And so at the end of every letter is, is like a promise to the one who conquers. This is what will happen. Then John writes another letter to the letter, uh, the letter to Smyrna. It says in verse eight, write to the angel of, uh, of the church of Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life, talking about himself. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. Jesus said, look, I know from the world's perspective that, that you're afflicted and that you don't have much. But you are rich, Jesus says. Why does he say that? He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some, some of you into prison and test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, says Jesus, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus is essentially saying, look, don't pay attention to the way things are looking externally. Just endure and be faithful and you will get the crown of life. He says, let anyone who has ears to hear, uh, let them listen to what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers again will never be harmed by a, the second death. 
So Jesus is saying, look, you don't have to fear about dying again after your first death because you will be with me. See, to the one who conquers. And that is all he says to the church of Smyrna. He does not rebuke them at all for anything. So they must have been doing everything right because every other church gets a rebuke. (laughs) To the letter of Pergamum. And it says in verse 12, so this is a letter to the people of Pergamum, again, uh, from John. Write to the angel of the church in Pergamum, thus says the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. Thus says me, Jesus, and remember, my weapon is the word of God coming out of my mouth. It says, I know, you, uh, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. And so Pergamum was a place, it was on top of a high elevation, and it was known for a lot of idolatry you know, so four cults and some other things. And so Jesus is calling that place um, Satan's throne. He says, you're right in the middle of Satan's throne. He says, I know where you live. You're right in the middle of Satan's throne. Yet you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me. So he's, he's commending them for being right in the belly of the beast, but not turning from the faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death among you where Satan lives. And so they were holding on to his name, even though one of theirs was martyred in uh, the belly of the beast, in, 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 in uh, Satan's uh, territory. Says even you were in the middle of Satan's territory and one of yours was mar- martyred. You still didn't turn from me. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold on to the teaching of Balaam who taught uh, uh, Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat sacrificed to the idols and to commit sexual immorality. So Jesus had this against them, that some of them were holding on to giving this. Well, well, what what did Balaam do? Uh, He was a Jew and and, and he was um, uh, he was a seer, I guess, a prophet, you could say. And uh, Balak came to him to curse the Jews. And, uh, and Balaam didn't curse the Jews because he was afraid to, and, and, but he was offered money. So he was trying to do a lot of things in order to take hold of the money, uh, but not violate the spirit of, of the ordinance from the Lord. See, but he was trying to do everything he could do to get around, you know, the, 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 the specifics of, he, of what he was not to do. So his heart was still trying to get the money. See, and so... He was giving the appearance, if you will, of being faithful, but he wasn't. To some of you who hold on to the teachings of Balaam. So in other words, you're doing the same sorts of things. Who taught uh, Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites uh, to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual uh, immorality. In verse 16, it says, so repent. Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Jesus said, uh, come to repent or I'm going to come. And those who are following in the spirit of Balaam, you know, the sword of my mouth, the word of God is going to come against them. Judgment is going to come on them. In verse 17, let anyone who has ears, let them hear to what the spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers 
I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now notice, he says, to the one who conquers, this is what I will do. And the, this is what I will do to the different church. It's all different. It's not the same. You know, he's telling the different churches, uh, the different churches, the different things that he will do for them to those who overcome. And so now there are all these things are related, but they're not specifically the same. It says uh, the letter uh, to Thyatira in verse 18, write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Uh, thus says the uh, thus says the son of God, the one whose eyes are like fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. It says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service and endurance. I know what your last work. I know that your last works are greater than your first works. So Jesus is saying, look, I know all of this stuff about you. And then he says, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to the idols. Now, this could mean that this is a woman named Jezebel in that congregation, or it could mean the spirit of Jezebel from the um, Old Testament days and times uh, who was the queen married to Ahab and was very evil. Okay. And so it can mean either one. It says, but uh, you taught They said, you tolerate that woman in your midst. This is what I have against you, you know? And it says, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. So Jesus has a real problem with sexual immorality, you know, adultery, fornication, you know, he did, no, 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 no. He says, I give her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. This is Jesus talking. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who uh, examines the minds and hearts. You don't have to say anything. Jesus says, I can read your mail. I can look inside your mind and inside your heart and I can see what's there. And then he says, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Again, we don't get saved by works, but we get rewarded by works. See? <clears throat> then he says in verse 24, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what, uh, what you have until I come. To the one who conquers again and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. All right. Let's go into chapter three. It says now uh, the letter to Sardis. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Uh, Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wow, this is coming from Jesus to the church in Sardis. You have a reputation, but you ain't alive. You are dead. It says in verse two, be alert and strengthen what remains, uh, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Jesus is saying, I have found you lacking. So repent. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, if you do not repent, 
I will come like a thief and you have no idea or at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. He says, now this is in all of you. So we see here that Jesus is fair. He's not evaluating everybody in one lump sum. He's saying, but uh, there are a few of you who have not gone this way. You have remained faithful. You have remained clean. You have not been defiled. You will walk with me because you are worthy. Then we see in verse five, in the same way, the one who conquers, it says again, will be dressed in white clothes and will never and I will never erase his name from the book of life. So this implies that you can be erased. Your name could be in the book, but then it can be taken out. There's a saying once saved, always saved. This seems to imply that that's not true. He says, I will never erase uh, his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father, before his angels. Then it says the letter to Philadelphia in verse seven, write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close and who closes and no one will open. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because uh, you have but little power. He says, I place before you an open door. You have but little power. Jesus is acknowledging that their power is slight and you can't close this door that I'm going to open. And it says, but because you have little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse nine says, note this. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, but are not, but are lying. Uh, Jesus says, I will make them come and bow at your feet. And they will know that I have loved you. So Jesus says, on this earth, I realize that you have little power. However, at my coming, you see, I will make those who have essentially been your enemies. I will make them bow at your feet. It says in verse 10, because you have kept my commands to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on earth. He says, look. You've had little power on earth. You have suffered on earth. However, because you have kept my commands and endured, he says, I'm going to keep you from being tested in that day. I'm going to keep you from the trials and, tribula and tribulations that are coming on that day. It says in verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Now, I take back what I said earlier, because to the letter to the uh, people in Philadelphia, he also uh, he also does not uh, deliver a rebuke. And so it says in verse 12 to the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and he will never go out again. Uh, I will write him the name of my God. Let's see. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, uh, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God uh, and my new name. Jesus implies he's going to have a new name. The letter to the church in Laodicea, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot because you are, let's see, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. In other translations, it says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. 
It says, for you say I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. <sighs> I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you uh, so that you may be rich. You think you're rich, but I want you to be rich, but rich in me. White clothes so that you may be dressed um, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. An ointment spread. Oh, come on. An ointment spread uh, on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So Jesus said, look, I love th those that I love. I rebuke and discipline. That's what I'm doing for you. I love you, even though you've done these things. So just take it for what I'm saying and respond. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, he says again, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also uh, conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear to what the spirit says to the churches. Wow. <clears throat> I'm not going to add anything to that. I'm just going to say Jesus sends out his invitation. <clears throat> if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that I, Jesus, am Lord, then he promises you that you shall not be put to shame and that <clears throat> your sins will be forgiven and that you will have eternal life with him. See, everybody stay safe, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And we'll hit up revolution, revolution, revelation chapter four tomorrow. Yeah, it will be a revolution, I guess. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.